Today's program was made possible by the generous prayer and support of the faithful friends and partners of this ministry. Visit our new website at Sheila.media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this August 3rd, Friday edition of The Sheila Zielinski Show. I am back after a little brief hiatus. I was trying to work on my book the last couple weeks, and I missed a very important deadline. I'm going to talk a little bit more about my show schedule and what's happening with the book, etc. at the end of the program. And I am going to be sending a newsletter out over the weekend. So do make sure you go to www.sheila.media and sign up for that free e-newsletter so you can stay in the loop on what is going on. Again, I just want to thank everyone for being patient. I'm not doing a whole lot of shows over the month of August. Really, really trying to get this book done this year. So will it be available for Branson? I'll get into that at the end of the program. And what a program it is today. I've wanted to have on this guest for quite a while. I heard her speak years ago with her husband, Mike Patton. It is Gail Patton joining me today. And I hope this is one of many programs because boy, is she ever a knowledgeable minister. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. I'm calling it Doctrines of Demons. You wouldn't believe what's going on in the church, folks. It is frightening. And that's an understatement. It is my pleasure to welcome her to the program today. It is Gail Patton from Patton Ministries. And it's my pleasure to welcome her to the show today. Gail, it is a pleasure to welcome you on, ma'am. Well, thank you. This is quite this is quite a privilege for me to be, be on your program. I've been listening to you for years. I've really gotten with with it listening to you faithfully for, ever since Carla's been on your program because she's been a friend of mine for about fifteen years. So, and then I went back and I listened to a lot at that point and listened to a lot of your old programs, which are so good. There's just got such a wealth in your in your of, of information in your podcast on your website. I love your um, articles. Your daily articles are just really spectacular. Oh, well, thank you, Gail. Likewise, I mean, you guys have an incredible ministry. Now, why we're doing this show today is because it is incredible to me the stuff that has seeped into the so-called Christian church, these doctrines of demons. I've talked, of course, you know, I've done an expose on the shack. I've done an expose on Jesus calling. And yes, I do think that is Satan calling. It is straight out of the pit of hell. And this thing is the number one selling Christian devotional. I've said that on shows before. And it's not just that. As if that wasn't bad enough that our devotional is straight out of the bowels of theosophy, mysticism, new age, theosophy, Gnosticism, weaving itself into the church, straight up witchcraft in many cases. Does any of this surprise you, Gail? You know, it does, and yet it doesn't. There are so many books out there, and maybe why not? Why not? Let's just start with that subject, the anti-Christian books. There's really a lot of them, and they've been out there for a long time, and they've, it's been getting worse. I was shocked a few years ago when a girl I thought was a pretty mature Christian. Now, all these books are channeled, like... We'll talk about Jesus calling on that in a minute, but The Course in Miracle was channeled, Miracles was channeled, and it's been, of course, very popularized. But I had a, a mature Christian friend who wondered why I thought there was something wrong with The Course in Miracles, oh and I wondered why I thought she was a mature Christian, you know, when she said that, and I'm wondering that about Jesus calling. I remember when I was a kid, I got God calling. My dad gave it to me. Now, neither one of us were saved. We were going to a terrible church. Went all my life to a real liberal church. But I read God, God calling. Didn't really know at that time, young teenager, what channeling meant. But that's how Sarah Young wrote her book because she was interested in the fact that he, the author of God Calling, channeled. And she said, I'd like to do that too. I'd like to receive things directly from Jesus. And the interesting part about it, that part was in the forward of her book where she explained how she received it. Much like A Course in Miracles. It's amazing. I've got notes here about how the author of Course in Miracles received her channeling. And so did Sarah that way. But, you know, there was so, such a, an uproar about that among Christians that the publishers took it out. And they have sold millions of them since they took that out. And then, of course, you know, it became even more popular, sold more after Oprah's Williamson. You know, yeah. she, Oprah touted Williamson, who wrote a book about it. You know, Principles of A Course in Miracles, Reflections. Williamson's new book, A Return to Love. But these people are not Christians, so you wonder, how can a Christian 
read the books and not notice. Uh, Helen Schusman said stuff like, like this. Here's, Helen says this. It was not her personal choice to write a book undermining Christianity, but rather a merciless and unrelenting voice. A force controlling Schusman. Now, what things? Some of the things Sarah said about that were about her and her experience were similar. Well, Marianne Williamson, by the way, since you brought her name up, wrote a book called The Illuminata. Really, I didn't know that. It's called An Illuminata: A Return to Prayer. Get this. It's a collection of thoughts, prayers, and rites of passage. And so what's shocking about it is what she gets into, as she calls prayers. I mean, this stuff is straight out of the New Age occult. You might as well go and read Alice Bailey or Madame Blavatsky. Why don't you get Alistair Crowley's books while you're at it? Because this stuff is pure doctrines of devils. So number one, if Christians are listening right now and you have Jesus calling, I've linked my my show on that. They need to go back and, and watch that. But let's get into this whole spiritual intuitive which really goes along nicely with this too doesn't it yeah it does i'm glad you got your link on there because that art your your talk on that was so biblical and just boom 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 right down the line so good on sarah on uh, jesus calling now spiritual intuitives let's jump into that topic because again these women say they're spiritual intuitives whatever that means now we came across gail this is shocking the christ alignment group and i really want to walk people through what this is they're tarot card readers they're necromancers they're straight up soothsayers gail right that's right and and they're um they're not only that but um, of course they don't claim claim to be christian but the problem is of course it's creeping into the Christian church where they're copying their methods. They have the Serpent Rainbow Festival, which is very gay, and they have the Queer Picnic or something. And then they had another one celebrating sex. So they're openly occult and new age, and they look occult, the pictures. But the thing about it is, the thing we were talking about with the uh, Destiny cards, what they're doing is they're using these cards to prophesy to people. They're not using the, the gifts of wisdom knowledge prophecy they're not using gifts they're using the cards and that is just straight out of the occult these things something like a destiny card can get you turned just like a false prophecy can turn you in the wrong direction for life whether it's marrying the wrong person going to the wrong college uh, pursuing the wrong field of, of interest but that's what the destiny cards can do for you false like just like a false prophecy they feel the connection are they all operate only out of the third heaven that's a quote and what else is stunning besides the fact that they're using divination and tarot cards is I have a video from Christ Alignment's own YouTube page, and I have the original uncensored version. And here they, their description is wonderful drumming, dancing, free workshops. We have plenty of good vibes, an important expression of oneness in the whole tribe. So this Bethel approved ministry, Christ Alignment. Now, they're also photographed here with Todd White, which is really quite interesting. But anyway, there's topless dancers, this topless tribal dancing. They say it's an important expression of community and oneness. The leaders of this Christ alignment now, by the way, are Jen and Ken Hodge, leaders of this Christ alignment. They do the Christian tarot cards, the destiny cards. And Christ alignment thinks it's a good idea to post photos of the naked people who visit their booth for the destiny card. I mean, this is so new age and pagan. And they do these weird henna tattoos, again, these weird readings. This is just straight up witchcraft and divination. Yes, yeah, exactly. Just a form of witchcraft. And they, they have the, I don't know, you may have gotten more on this. They have color cards, animal cards, and psalm cards. I'm not sure how they prophesy differently with those. But it's the same, you know, it's interesting. These, of course, the Christ alignment is a totally unchristian New Age group. But they're, they're, another thing that are, that's just as, as bad as destiny cards are the prophetic art. In my opinion, a lot of people say that I'm off the wall there. And the tattoo readings. I, one time I, I had a, an experience in, in my church that Mike and I were going to. We, did, we quit going, not necessarily because of this, but because of a multitude of things like this. They had people from another church, a big famous church, come in and do art. Have you ever heard of this? The prophetic yeah, art? Yeah. Yeah. And so they were up there during the, during the singing, doing this artwork. And then they turned around and picked somebody out of the audience and prophesied to them using the picture. And at the time, I thought, oh my, I can't believe this is happening in my church. Time to run screaming, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Listen, one of the other, yeah, tattoo 
readings. You know, I've heard a lot about tattoo readings lately. You interpret the hidden messages on your body. These people, that's what they're doing. And they're doing this in the name of Jesus. Piercings and tattoo readings. What are you doing with piercings? You haven't read what the Bible says about these things and how it relates to the occult. Well, I'm telling you right now, tattoos open up a demonic realm and people argue with me, but I say, you come and get deliverance from me. And when I call out that name of that tattoo, Gail, they manifest every time. And what's interesting is I have a friend that does a lot of gang prison ministries. When he calls out monikers, tattoos, manifest is crazy, Gail. Wow. Isn't that something? Mm-hmm. I saw a wonderful miracle. He was talking about he went to, went to a preacher and the preacher had him come up and he had just gotten saved. He was so happy about getting saved. He was just really a sweet, wonderful Christian, but he had tattoos all over his upper body, all over. And the guy asked him, he was praying for people, and he asked him, he said, what do you want? What do you want from God? And he said, well, I'm really embarrassed about these tattoos. I would really like to have these tattoos taken away. So the guy prayed, and they didn't disappear right then. But the next morning, when he looked in the mirror brushing his teeth, they were gone. Yeah. I've heard of stories like that. That's amazing. Well, and another doctrine that I find that really gets overboard is this Hebrew roots doctrine. You know, a lot of people think I'm anti-Semitic because I talk about the Kabbalah, the Zohar, the mystics and wizards of the ancient mystic rabbis and their teachings. And, you know, they claim to be wizards themselves. But yet a lot of people, I mean, they might as well just go to a Jewish synagogue because they just go so far down that road that it's not even Christianity anymore. It becomes Judaism. And you know what? As far as I'm concerned, it's not Jesus plus all this other stuff. These Jewish traditions that are seeping into the church, Jesus himself, what did Jesus say? You know, go look at Mark 7.13. He says, making the word of God of none effect through your traditions. And that's a really important piece. Well, yeah, that's yeah, that's the, ma- the, the major problem, of course, with the Hebrew roots is getting back to their Jewish roots and Judaism. And the whole book of Galatians was written against that and does a very well good job of explaining why you don't do that. The, almost the entire book. I've had several friends, their, their faith was shipwrecked by the Hebrew roots movement. They were really pretty committed, strong, mature Christians until they got into it. That's one of the interesting, well, not interesting, but it's the true points of the Hebrew roots movement. It's a wide variety. They all disagree with how to say the various different Hebrew words, all the way down the gamut to where if you're, you don't have a pastor, your leader is a rabbi. <laughs> I mean, there's everybody in between, and I, I would say that my one of my friends that said when I saw her, and I knew that I, I really wish I had said something stronger to her, this was about 10 years ago, I met her in her place of work, she worked in a health food store, and I asked her how she was doing, I said, I, you're going to a new church, aren't you? And she says, yeah, and I said, well, what's the name of it? And I, she said, well, we don't exactly call it a church, and I, and I laughed, and I said, well, I guess it's some group of Christians, what is it? And then she said, well, we don't exactly call ourselves Christian." And that's when I knew there was a major problem, and she's gone from bad to worse on that. So she's down the down the line, down the gamut to having a rabbi for a, oh, heaven forbid, don't call him pastor. It's part of the Torah keepers, because I heard uh, one, a fellow who talks on Torah keeping all the time, he said, I am distancing myself from the Hebrew roots movement because they are saying that the Old Testament prophecies are not referring to Jesus. And see, that's what I mean by there's such a wide range of beliefs in the Hebrew roots movement. He was embarrassed by that. I'd like to read this this verse right here. Well, it's two verses, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. It, it talks about a lot of the subjects that you and I are, are going to approach tonight, but, but there were first false prophets also among the people, even there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. That's what's happening among these Hebrew roots people. They can't agree because they're literally denying Messiah Jesus, and and they've got to call him Messiah. They can't say Jesus, but they're denying him. They're saying the Old Testament scriptures are not referring to Jesus. In James 2, it says, if you've broken one law, you've broken them all. So, why are we talking about keeping feasts and keeping Torah? What Jesus talked about was a whole lot of harder than keeping Torah. I wish the Christianity was that easy. Jesus yeah. said, if you, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say, if you look on a woman, you've committed adultery. 
yeah, I, you know, I have no problem if somebody wants to do the feasts and whatever else, but I, be, I think we've got to really be careful with that, don't we? Yes, you do, because one of my friends, that's how she really got off so badly. She was so busy keeping feasts that she couldn't think about doing anything except going to Israel. And when she went to Israel, her whole life was shipwrecked, not because of, I'm not saying anybody in Israel, any Israeli or anything hurt her. It was the her being obsessed with being there. Even the, um, you know, you go to rabbi school now, you learn the Talmud and the Kabbalah. You don't learn Torah. The Jews over there, they they know very little about Torah. I, there's a lot of Jews that over there, rabbis, that would be agreeing with me completely right now. There's a few that actually learn Torah like they did 40, 50 years ago, but not now. They learn Talmud and Kabbalah. I heard an Orthodox Jew rabbi told me, he said, Sheila, we don't really believe the first five books of the Bible, really. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm sure some do memorize the Torah, but the bottom line is when you start looking at the Zohar, you look at the Kabbalah and that thing, yikes, you start looking at the Talmud and that thing is deeply antichrist. I think this stuff gets permeated with a real antichrist spirit. Another thing that I have some real huge red flags about is this whole sort of gnar, the seven mountain thing. Um, get into that because I know you have a lot of concerns about it as well. Yeah, I think that's a good thing to talk about for two reasons. Number one reason is it it is um, heretical. Number two is it's growing like crazy. There are so many churches out there that are taking up the bandwagon. And, and I do, you can lump together because of so many beliefs that are the same or similar. You can lump NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation, Seven Mountain Mandate, Kingdom Now, and Dominionism. Because what's heretical about it, they all believe. And what and what's heretical about it is, it'll change your eschatology if you want to follow them, because they believe we have to fix this society before Jesus can come back. There is so much like that that we could we could do a whole program on on just refuting that one idea by the scripture. Well, there was a whole cornucopia of false teaching they were sort of promulgating to that whole International House of Prayer, the latter rain that began back in the 40s. I know the Hillsong Conference last year, a person that went to it sent me some stuff. They were promoting the NAR, the Seven Mountain Mandate there. So this new apostolic reformation, the Seven Mountain Theology and the Dominionism, a lot of very deceptive New Age teaching in it. And of course, for people that don't know the Seven mountains are arts and entertainment, business, education, family, government, media, and religion. And the earliest occurrence of the Seven Mountain Strategy was actually in 1975 by Bill Bright. He was the founder and creator of Campus Crusade. How do you reconcile what the apostles were doing? They didn't dominate the arts and entertainment. No one even wanted to hear what they had to say. They didn't dominate the business. They were poor. They did not dominate family. They left their families to preach the gospel. They were in jail. So how were they dominating the government? They were kicked out of every city they went into. They didn't dominate religion because they were stoned and crucified for even believing the gospel of Christ. So, you know, I think some of this teaching that says that Christians have to get to the top of the system in order to influence the world for Jesus. Apostle Paul clearly tells us that Satan is in charge of the world system. So to think a Christian has to get to the top, you know, when Jesus was preparing his disciples for the Great Commission, he told them to forsake themselves, take up their crosses and follow him. It's very hard to reconcile that. Yeah, that is exactly a description of it. They're into, let's get back to the mother church. We'll get to that in a minute. But IHOP believes that they say Jesus won't return until Christians pray him back. You see, that is so unbiblical. There's nothing in the Bible that says that we have to pray to get Jesus to come back. Uh, in Toronto, they're into the Seven Mountain big time now. Oh, the Toronto Blessing? Yeah, which is no different. The see, Kingdom Now uh, theology has been teaching this for years a little differently. They haven't been teaching that we've got to infiltrate the different systems, like infiltrating the government system, the entertainment system, the education system, the religion system. We need to invade systems. That's a quote. Here's another quote. Kingdom to be established on a whole new level. 
end quote. No, it's not. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And says, come out, be separate from them, come out from among them. And we aren't trying to be a part of the world. And so many of these preachers that are preaching this, that's exactly what they're telling you. They're telling you to be a part of these facets of society, society and change them. Like um, one fellow that teaches a lot about the Seven Mountain, he sounds really good. And one time I was listening to two or three of his sermons because he's a really good preacher. He sounded great. But he didn't mention Jesus' name once. Not once. Well, you just said something really important. You said it sounded good. And that's why I think there's so much confusion because it sounds good. Because why? It takes scriptures, it twists a few things, and it kind of sounds like... Yeah, that sounds about right, but it's not. And what it ends up doing is it just causes a whole lot of confusion is what it does. Yeah, yeah, yes, because, uh, it, and I think the bottom line is people don't know the scriptures, so they can't hear heresy when it is spoken right out in front of them. There are so many scriptures that, that teach that as we get closer to Jesus' return, the opposite of what they say will happen. You know, rebellion, pride, worldly ambition, a great falling away. They're saying the opposite of each one of those things. They're going to bring society under Christian dominion, and we will rule. And that's the opposite of what the Bible says. It's almost like they're pushing straight up theocracy. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. I never thought of that. You know, I'm gonna have to do a show at some point on just this Seven Mountain New Apostolic Reformation. But let's move on to some other ones. One of the ones that's really frightening that I am just like, wow, it's like, let's get back to the mother church. This whole ecumenical thing is you see it everywhere now, don't you? Yes, you did. We used to be horrified of ecumenism. Now you see your Christian brothers and you say something to somebody you think is on the same page with that, that you and they're horrified that you said such a thing. You know, ecumenical is syncretism, I think. I mean, maybe there's a little nuances difference, but the de definition of syncretism is the attempted amalgamation of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. Now, why would a Christian want to do that? Did Jesus teach that? Definitely not. Um, I really started paying attention about two years ago when I heard about a huge crowd gathering at a Word Faith Church to hear a Catholic priest preach, Tony Palmer. He said, the 1999 agreement between the Catholic Church, Lutheran Church, and Methodist Church put a stop to the protest. The protest is over. Well, Sheila, I'm not changing my mind. I still agree with Luther and his 95 thesis that he nailed to the door of his church. I'm not going to capitulate and get back to the mother church. We all need to agree at all costs. We need unity. You know, Jesus did not say that. He said, I came to bring a sword. Amen. Let me read that. Let me read this first. Verse Luke 12, 51. Suppose ye that I can't, I've come to bring peace on earth? I tell you, nay, but rather division. And that word, it means disunion. The word he used was division, disunion. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two, two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, and the son against the father, and the mother against the daughter, the daughter against the mother, and the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's what Jesus said. He didn't say unity at all costs. You know what that reminds me of? Have you seen those coexist bumper stickers? They want to bring atheists together with Buddhists, with Christians, and Rick Warren did that with Chrislam, trying to find the, let's find the unity between the two religions, shall we, Gail? Yeah, and last month, the Baptist Church in Texas is uh, celebrating uh, Ramadan. Isn't that wonderful? The whole month. Yeah, unbelievable. Well, the Pope, he prayed at the Blue Mosque in Istanbul. I did a show back in 2014 on it. He prayed in the mosque towards Mecca. You can find those videos online. This isn't me saying it. His commitment to Christian-Muslim relations? Are you kidding me? That story was in the Wall Street Journal. He has read prayers out of the Quran. He was the first pope to visit the Great Mosque of Rome. That's one of the largest Islamic places of worship outside the Arab world. And that wasn't long after he visited, get this, the city's historic great synagogue. He's not only read out of the Quran, but he says the Quran's a book of peace. Islam's a peaceful religion. Go listen to some of the interviews. And honestly, it was crickets chirping with the Catholic Church about that. Why don't we just get our pastor this Sunday to preach out of the Satanic Bible? I mean, this is stunning. Oh my gosh, that's right. He kissed a Quran too. I saw a picture of that. Pope John Paul II did that too. Kissed a Quran. 
Now, I don't know if it was ever debunked, but Pope Francis was quoted in the Civic Tribune as saying the Quran and the Holy Bible are the same. And then, of course, there was some backlash from that. <laughs> really? Uh, anyway, moving right on to another doctrine of devil. Speaking of just absolutely abhorrent, never mind about worrying about any of this stuff going on in the world because, hey, we're just getting raptured out of here next week. What is your take on this? Hey, we're just getting raptured any day now. Yeah, that's the problem. That's the bottom line problem because they're teaching that philosophy of, of we've got to stick with this this philosophy because what happens if these other people are right? We're in big trouble if these other people are right. Well, that's what they think because they're not prepared. You and I don't think that. You and I are learning how to, to trust God. We're learning what, what to do when it happens. We're learning how to get through the tribulation. We're spending time thinking about it, praying about it. They're just waiting for Jesus to snatch them up. I believe there's so much teaching that, um, that does keep people from praying about it because the Bible reads differently when you think that. Revelations reads a lot differently when you think you're going to be raptured out. You have to explain away so much, uh, so much in the Bible if you think that Christians are not going through the tribulation. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward they are ravening wolves. So many times over and over, we're, we're warned about these kind of doctrines of devils coming out of these false prophets. Yes. Yes, it says, you know, Colossians says, Paul said, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, deceit, delusion, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And that we can, we are warned over and over, beware lest you be spoiled. Beware. Paul said it so much. Well, okay, another one that's frightening is this whole lascivious lifestyles of the rich and famous that I'm going to just be honest I was really shocked one night I was rooting through the channels I was just up I couldn't sleep so I just decided to root through channels and I, I, I really don't even watch TV it just happens to come with my high-end uh, internet package so I was floored guess who was on the Kenneth Copeland show talking about 40 days not 40 days in the wilderness it was 40 days of prosperity Gail oh my gosh wow Gloria and George were were on like the their 33rd I think there, there's a sign <laughs> oh, wow oh my gosh yeah, that's like one of them once you need to tithe your first month salary to her. I mean, there's such craziness out there in this lifestyle. I love the way you say the lascivious lifestyles of the rich and famous, because that's exactly what their lifestyle is, lascivious. How do we reconcile the fact that, yes, God wants to bless us. That doesn't always mean with money, good health and your soul prospering is a big thing. I mean, what are the problems with this? Well, that, the problems, I think, I think you know, God does bless us. He, he blesses us in many ways, including financially. But that's when we love not the world, when we, I die daily. Paul said, take up your cross, lay down your life. When we do that, we reap a lot of blessings from the Lord. But they're not teaching love not the world, die daily, take up your cross, lay down your life for others, for, you know, for the Lord. They're teaching what you can get from the Lord, and they are teaching things like, you know, tithe your salary, your first month's salary to me, and you'll be blessed. That is just a lie. It is not true. There is one passage I'd, I would like to read because it so describes this. It's just incredible. The First Timothy 6, 5 through 10, perverse disputings of men and of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, supposing that gain is God. And that's what they're teaching. If you're not being blessed, you're not godly. I mean, let me read on. From such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction. And that word right there means death and punishment. Drown men in destruction and perdition. Perdition means damnable destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil, while which, while some coveted after, they erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. They erred from the faith. Titus said too, um, Titus 1.11, you guys can read that when you get a chance, but I was just amazed about a month ago, I heard, because a lot of times I'm switching through channels and I stop to listen to what some of these guys say. Two of them, not one, but two, were telling the people, the TV audience, that they need to have a $50 million plane. 
Both of them already had plenty of planes. That was about a month ago, five weeks ago. Both of them in one week. Two preachers that a lot of people follow. A lot of people are giving. What compels a person to give to somebody who thinks they need a $50 million plane? He said, he, he said, I'm not just asking my followers to buy me a jet. I just want them to believe, is what he went back on record of saying, is believing for a jet. Is that really, whatever happened to dying to self daily and, and taking up your cross, it's not all about you. How about that, Gail? Yeah, it's not. that's really, I was sort of thinking that, you know, the gospel of gain and the me, 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 I, I, I gospel where, you know, everybody's, everybody needs to be happy, happy, happy. I, I read in a great article about the happy cult that we're being taught in, in Christian churches that we should be happy, we deserve to be happy, we need to be happy. You know, I wonder what Paul thought when he was in the deep for the third time. Uh, I wonder how happy that was. Paul taught anything but this idea of self-love. You, we deserve everything. We're entitled to blessings and fulfillment. It's just arrogant flesh that wants these blessings and fulfillment. You know, if we're successful, we have money, power, where our children go to school, the sports they're successful in, if all these things work out and we, we bow at the throne of happiness, personal fulfillment, when they're not happy, God gets the blame. Every day was not a Friday in the book of Acts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, some of the things Paul went through were just astonishing. And, and we're supposed to think, oh, Paul had to do that, but not me. I'm supposed to be free from that. Really? If I, I'm trying to be like Paul, I'm trying to do like Paul said, be like me. I'm trying to. How many of the apostles were brutally beaten and killed? And, and you know, the, there's a particular pastor out there who's got a book. The book is called I Am. And he's not talking about the I Am that Moses met. I am highly blessed. I am highly favored. I am coming up higher. And on and on it goes. It's all this kingdom of self. You know, Romans 8, 5 says something that kind of contradicts all that. It says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. All these motivational speaking pastors, that's all they ever talk about is the flesh. Yeah, that's the problem. The Bible says you'll, you'll be blessed if you, if you lay down your life. A leader serves. He's the server. Well, are, are these lascivious lifestyles? Are they the servers? No, they're not the servers. They're being served in great style. Is it our role, Gail, to call this stuff out or are we just to turn a blind eye to it? It is our role to call it out. There's so many places in the Bible that says not only to call it out, mark them, it says to judge. Just one thing after another about judging this and judging that, and mainly in the body of Christ. With Corinthians, it says you don't judge those who are without, you judge those who are within. That's what we're doing, aren't we? Oh, there's another doctrine of devils. We're not supposed to judge. Yeah, really, that is a doctrine of devils. It really is. And people will use that to shut up anything they don't agree with. Yeah, they, it's amazing how an atheist will even throw that. I think that's the one scripture they know. <laughs> yeah, and you know the one scripture that it's true, it's talking about if that's what that verse is referring to. Your problem's worse than theirs, and yet you're judging? It's hypocrisy. That verse is talking about hypocrisy, not shutting Sheila Zelensky up. What's the next uh, doctrine of devils that you want to discuss, Gail? Well, I think there are several doctrines of devils that are coming into the church that are really being promoted by unbelievers, like Rob Bell. So many Christians are reading these books, like The Shack. I'm sure he was an unbeliever when he wrote The Shack, and I haven't heard that he's been born again since then. There's, there's, so, and there's so many of these things that are, how are they getting into the body of Christ when you can read books by Rob Bell, and you can tell he's not born again, and yet people are picking up this universalism, the reconciliation of all things. There's a lot of, there's a lot of names to that, but that is starting to pick up fervor. A Carlton Pearson used to have a hard time you know he he's not an example like rob bell he was born again he was a great preacher and he turned and decided everybody's going to heaven changed his uh, total preaching to everybody's going to heaven just like the pope you know the pope says that and there and then they write books about it and then christians buy those books by the millions christian bookstores are touting these books and christians don't know the difference they don't know how to read love wins and, and that rob bell wrote and wonder why he's saying that about universalism. Everybody goes to heaven. The shack said everybody goes to heaven. Your expose on the shack movie is really good. You know, the movie's different from the book in that they 
couldn't cram all the heresy into the movie. <laughs> they couldn't cram all the heresy. I've got that link below too. But, you know, Rob Bell, I mean, he appeared on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday program with his wife. They were talking to the, the, the Zim Zam of love and how spirituality and sexuality merges. And then he was trashing the Bible. Yeah, see, he's been doing that for years. Now, how can Christians listen to that? And how can Christians go on a tour with uh, with Oprah? How do you have Oprah in your pulpit? We can name <laughs> preacher after preacher that's had Oprah in their pulpit. That woman, if anything, is a high-level witch. But how do Christians get duped by these doctrines of devils? If they're in the Word of God, they're not going to get duped because the Word itself is a discerner. God gives us a spirit of discernment. The Gnosticism alone that's in the church right now, the church, I didn't say that's in the New Age circles, that's frightening. Yeah, there's so much Gnosticism in the church right now. It's just amazing. Like, in the church is creeping in, a lot of Christians are believing not only the stupid Christ died spiritually doctrine, but they're believing the uh, kenosis, the renunciation of the divine nature, at least in part by Christ, in the incarnation. He renounced his divine nature while he was alive. You can't even read the book of John and believe that. Then there's um, retinism, where Christ died spiritually. That's a big one. A lot of the preachers have their different little twists on how they preach that. That's the most diabolical doctrine out there in Christianity now. And it's being taught by people I think are born again. They're not. It's not being taught by the Rob Bells and the Popes of this world. Then there's Montanism. Prophecy still being given and scripture is not complete. That's huge. That's Gnosticism. There's a lot of Gnosticism in our churches. Basically, here's an, let me read a few, a few of the Gnosticistic things that are happening. Faith and knowledge is based primarily on personal or mystical experience rather than the word. Here's another one. Emphasis on self-knowledge and emotional well-being or healing rather than biblical knowledge and cleansing through his blood. That's Gnostic, but that's what churches are teaching. One more, one more thing on that. Illogical and feeling-based interpretations of the word. You know, they just interpret it any way they want. You know, it doesn't have to have any <laughs> exegesis of value at all. That's exactly why almost all the Christians on the planet are buying Jesus Calling. And they think this thing is, oh, wow, this just sounds so nice. 2 Timothy 3.13, right through 17, gives us a warning about false teaching as well as an admonition to hold to the scriptures which were given to us by God. All scripture, folks, is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for what? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness. You know, Gail, it's my view that abandonment of the sufficiency of the Bible opens us all up to kinds of deceptions, self-deception, but as well as demonic deception. The Bible even warns us that our hearts are deceitful in the book of Jeremiah. Yeah, and they're writing books like, I don't know if you've heard of the physics of heaven, but that book is every single chapter chapter has incredible weirdness in it. I guess I, I could spend a lot of time on that, but there's no point in that. I mean, Bob Jones, the vibrating in the harmony with God. Every chapter is written by a different person and every single chapter is got stupid stuff. Every single chapter by Judy Franklin and Ellie Davis. And then uh, can I read the, do you have time to read the quote from the Pope? This is recent. Yeah, this, yeah, read that one. Because I want to read a quote out of Physics of Heaven, because I did a little expose on oh, that, too. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Okay, I'll just read this real quick. He just said this about three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago. I don't know. It's been recently. Pope said, the wicked are not punished. Those who repent obtain God's forgiveness and take their place among the ranks of those who contemplate him. But those who do not repent and cannot be forgiven disappear. A hell doesn't exist. The disappearance of sinning souls exists. That's what he said to the oh, press. Oh my. Yeah, well, the Pope is a total type of false prophet. That guy says so many antichrist things. But I mean, the physics of heaven, I mean, you could do a full show on this blasphemous book. They're asserting that a quantum merger is taking place between the powers of heaven and the energies of earth. They get into quantum mysticism. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Where the cosmos and chaos are ever interacting at a reality macro and micro level. This is Bethel Church's Bill Johnson. The charismatic cult leader, remember them from Redding, California? They do the grave soaking, grave sucking, mantle grabbing, these crazy emerging so-called Christian trends. Yeah. 
Yeah, one of the chapters says, the transforming sound will cause our DNA to become like the father's. Our genetics are getting aligned with the father's genetics. You know, just such stupid stuff that doesn't even come close to being biblical. And more and more people are following um, people, that, the, these guys that are teaching the um, universal reconciliation, ultimate re- reconciliation. Basically, it's the restoration of all things. Jesus and Lucifer are going to walk the streets of, of gold, arm in arm. And Carlton Pearson, basically Rob Bell in his book says say the same thing just as this. He says, people who believe in hell create it for themselves and other people who believe in devils and demons become that in consciousness and they act it out. Don't even get me started on Rob Bell. That guy is a demon himself. So no wonder he doesn't believe in demons. Yeah. Right. This quote that he gave to the press that I just read was like a month, five weeks ago. Uh, It's worth noting that Francis is not, by the way, the first pontiff to redefine the notion of hell because Pope John Paul actually caused quite a stir with Catholics when he said, rather than a physical place, hell is just really simply the state of those who freely and definitively separate themselves from God. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, the last thing in this show I want to touch on is this idea that Christian fundamentalists, liberal society now is using the term Christian fundamentalist to identify Christians that they consider to be an extremist, i.e., oh, you actually believe everything in the Bible. A lot of pastors will tell you, yeah, a lot of this is just allegory. You can't take it literal. Christian fundamentalism now is being written off as like some weird right-wing kooks, isn't it? Sort of summarize this fundamentalism thing, Gail, because I think it's an important piece for this show. Okay, well, um, I think this maybe summarizes it a little bit. Um, I'm real, I get tired of people, I've been seeing Christians for the last two or three years acting embarrassed because they don't want to be called a fundamentalist. And I say, well, you're not a fundamentalist? Then let's talk about it because you may not be a Christian. Here's what the five precepts of fundamentalism, and if you don't believe any of these, you better re-examine your faith. The deity of our Lord Jesus Christ, number two. Virgin birth, number three. The blood atonement, number four. The bodily resurrection, number five. The inerrancy of scripture. If you don't believe one of those, then examine yourself. If you do believe those things, you are a fundamentalist. Do not be ashamed of Jesus or he'll be ashamed of you. That's the way I wanted to sum it up. There's too many people being embarrassed. I am unashamed. of. I'm going to stick with all five of those things. I'm sticking with Luther. I'm not going back to the mother church and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of being a, going through the tribulation. If people want to talk about it, I want to talk about it. We need to not be ashamed of these these teachings. Yeah, and then you know what happens is people say things like, well, we just don't get into religion and we don't get into debates and we shouldn't really talk about, you know, somebody else's opinion. Kumbaya, let's live and let live. Somebody else is entitled to their opinion. Not if it's not biblically sound, if they're a Christian. They need to be challenged on these doctrines, not just, oh, well, they can believe what they want. I think it's incumbent upon us to point these errors out. In love, that's a doctrine of devils right there that we're not allowed to talk about it. We'll just keep your opinion to yourself. I think that's a doctrine of devils right there that's right that's right they want to let live and let live i'm okay you're okay no that's not right yeah i agree with that and you know hey let's just all coexist the happy happy coexisting club and so we're right back full circle gail i want you to give out your information for the folks how they can find other shows you've done and how they can find out more about your and mike's ministry please Okay, the, um, the um, website is sexualabusedemons.com, and I'd love to talk to you, and I'd t- I'll talk to you on the phone. Or t- My website is designed because I'm tired of seeing so many suicidal people. And Christians, and um, anyway, and they, and they've got good reason to be if they've been sexually abused. But uh, the the uh, email, and you can contact us on email, is Luke ten dot seventeen and twenty. That's a n d at gmail dot com. That's Luke ten dot seventeen and twenty at gmail dot com. Excellent. Well, I would like to have you back on to talk about sexual abuse demons. How does that sound? Okay, great. That'd be great. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to come on this. This is a really important topic and the and the church really needs to start talking about this stuff instead of just going, oh, well, believe what you want, because really people are being led to a devil's hell, Gail. That's right. That's right. So important. Well, Gail, thank you so much for coming on the program today. God bless you. Oh, thank you. It was fun. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. 
folks, that was Gail Patton. I've got her information linked there below in the bio. Do reach out to Gail and let her know you heard her on this program. These are really important programs. Like I just said, there's a lot of Christians, folks, well-meaning Christians that are being duped. And I don't think God is okay with us just shrugging our shoulders about this. I think these doctrines of devils that are permeating the body of Christ, they need to be called out. I think this is a very important topic. And shoot me an email and let me know what you thought of the program, because I know I'm probably going to get hammered on a lot of the stuff I talked about today, because, you know, people do get offended when you call out these things. And yeah, that's right. We're not all going to agree on everything, but I think it's worth having a conversation about it. And I just want to let people know that this is the only show I'm doing this week. And then next week, Gary Wayne is coming on and this topic is going to blow your mind. As everyone knows, I've got a deadline of August 6th. And if I don't get it done, then it will not be ready for Branson. The only thing that would be ready for Branson is the pre-orders of Technogeddon. So you can see why I'm really struggling to get this thing done. So really be praying for me. And do watch for the newsletter that'll come out this weekend. All that information you can find there at www.sheila.media. That's www.sheila, S-H-E-I-L-A dot media. And tonight, for the rest of the show, I'm going to leave you with a clip from this expose I did on Jesus Calling. And I've linked both the exposés there in the description below. You can see the full show that I did. This is just a clip from it, Jesus Calling. And I've also linked the show I did on the shack, what I think about the shack. So you can see those two shows linked in the description below. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into the program tonight and enjoy this clip from the expose I did on Jesus Calling. Ooh, this is a creepy one. October 25th. Check this one out. I am God within you for all times and throughout eternity. Don't let the familiarity of that concept numb its impact on your consciousness. Strive to remain conscious of my presence even in your busiest moments. Capital P presence again. The only word where I can see consciousness in the Bible talks about the problem of the consciousness of sin in Hebrews 10 there. We know that pagans and Wiccans are wed to the spirituality of nature and romantic feelings attached to nature, pantheism. It seems so benevolent. Being conscious of imminent nature-based spirituality keeps millions in bondage to their sin and away from the Savior. When you blend all this Wiccan and paganism into the word, well, it's very subtle, isn't it? But do not be deceived, people. This Christ in Jesus' calling is not the Christ of the Bible. Jesus is not some romantic lover aching to embrace us. Over 20 times, this real romanticized thing has been woven in here from the Song of Solomon. It was allegorized into something that it's not. Listen to this, June 14th. For years, you swam around in a sea of meaninglessness, searching for love, searching for hope. All that time I was pursuing you, aching to embrace you in my compassionate arms. I sang you a love song whose beginning and end are veiled in eternity. I don't read anywhere in the word of God these words, aching to embrace and veiled in eternity. This romantic mysticism approach to the gospel, it actually avoids the issue of God's wrath against sin and portrays Jesus as some needy, door-knocking, metaphysical evangelist, some feckless, jilted lover who hopes to get some sinner to agree with becoming his lover. No, this is weird and creepy. We were God's enemies abiding under his wrath and are commanded to repent. Jesus is not some needy, wretched weirdo. Okay, listen to this from March 31st. Here we go. The more intimately you experience me, the more convinced you become of my goodness. I am the living one who sees you and longs to participate in your life. Never take for granted my intimate nearness. Marvel at the wonder of my presence. Even the most ardent human lover cannot be with you always, nor can another person know the intimacies of your heart, mind, and spirit, the lover of your soul eternally. One request that Young also attributes to Jesus a number of times is this phrase, whisper my name, this sense of romantic intimacy. Let's read May 2nd. When you are with other people, you often lose sight of my presence, capital P again. When you realize this has happened, whisper my name. 
This trust brings me to the forefront of your consciousness, where I belong. Really? I've never read in the word that Jesus wants to be at the forefront of our consciousness. Why would Jesus want his name whispered when we have access to the throne of grace and prayer and he tells us to go boldly to it? A very troubling aspect of Jesus' calling is that it claims that Jesus, who has spoken to us once and for all, it says in Hebrews 1.1.2 there, wants to deny that scripture and speak to us beyond scriptures. Sarah Young's book virtually rejects the whole book of Hebrews. Young's new revelation come in the form of inner voices that are assumed to be Jesus himself. Because don't forget, she used journaling to receive these inner voices that were channeled from Jesus. She claims Jesus told her this, as you spend time in my capital P presence, my thoughts gradually form in your mind. Let's read one more. I have much to tell you. You are walking along the path that I have chosen for you, both a privileged and perilous way, experiencing my glorious presence and heralding that reality to others. Sometimes you feel presumptuous to being carrying out such an assignment. Do not worry, for my presence is with you. August 21st. This whole kind of concept that she uses, this assumption of pietism, is kind of that there's this higher, deeper spiritual that some Christians have obtained that the rest of us ordinary Christians know nothing about. She considers herself one who has escaped the dreaded ordinary status via mysticism in a special relationship with Vedic Jesus, I guess, because January 28th, this is her talking for God. Some ill-taught or wounded believers fear and may even resent my awareness of all they do, say and think. A few people center their lives around this glorious promise and find themselves blessed beyond all all expectations. Again, that's January 28. You know, it's kind of funny. Hebrews 7.25 says, He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Again, Jesus and his apostles never equated the promise of Christ's presence to a state of awareness, consciousness, or some type of special revelation beyond scripture. We need to put our faith in God's promises, not some version of Christ's consciousness. A common denominator of all mysticism, that's Christian and pagan. And by the way, charismatic witchcraft is rampant in the church. Anything that deviates from the word of God is witchcraft. It's an antichrist spirit. Let's listen. I got to read this one from April 4th. I meet you in the stillness of your soul. It is there that I seek to commune with you. Stillness of soul is increasingly rare in this world. I am pleased with your desire to create a quiet space where you and I can cohabitate. There's a lot of sentences she uses calling co-create. We're co-creating and co-mingling and cohabitating with God. It's very creepy. You know what? It's not in the stillness of a person's soul. The Bible, according to the Bible, Jesus ascended to heaven and makes intercession for us at the right hand of God. And the whole idea there is Jesus in our midst is only found in the New Testament where it says, for two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. So that's a direct contradiction to the word. Go read that in Matthew 18, 20. Anyway, you get the point, but the errors in Young's book that she shockingly attributes in some way to Jesus, this is despite some tepid disclaimer that these words are not equal to scripture. She says that herself. You have to wonder what's happened to discernment, the fact that this book is a number one seller. And preachers have hardly batted an eye. There's no protest or not even an eyebrow raised about this best-selling devotional. And that is stunning to me. I'll end with this one from September 6th. I mean, I just could read so many of these, but I think you're getting the idea. But I have to read this one. Teaching you would be simple if I negated your free will or overwhelmed you with my power. However, I love you too much to withdraw the godlike privilege I bestowed on you as my image bearer. So here's my conclusion. Jesus' calling is not a devotion. It's not the devotion expressed in Acts 2.42 there. Sarah Young's mysticism, Vedic Hinduism, a romanticism and pantheism. It has a lot more common with New Age philosophers than any apostles' teachings, I can tell you that. How can a book like this become a huge bestseller in an age of apostasy? Hmm, I wonder how. We have to return to the true teachings of Jesus Christ in his word. I believe this is very toxic. It's very disconcerting to me. And it's quite frightening and staggering the amount of new age that's woven into it. And so 
You know what? Don't take my word for it. You go get yourself a copy of that Eckhart Tolle book. Don't pay for it. Get it from a library and start highlighting the word presence, awareness and consciousness. And then go do that in Sarah Young's book and you will be stunned 